0: jill gonzalez of the woman's storybook project came to visit the Arsnake show she and i talk about how they go into private prisons and help mothers record audio reading to their children it's a heartwarming interview especially because this was recorded in the days leading up to mother's day as i go into on this episode i was on the fence about this particular interview at first until i started digging into the stats which i hope you'll find interesting and now here is jill gonzalez Hello and welcome to the Yarsnake Show. Today I have with me, Jill Gonzalez. How are you? I'm well. Thank Hi. you for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, you live in Round, Round Rock. Rock. Yeah, yes. yeah. So how was the traffic down from Round Rock?
1: It was a little busy. It was, <laughs> you know, four to five o'clock. It's pretty busy right then. Yeah.
0: And... Yeah. I need to build like a helipad here at Chris's Oh, that place. would be fantastic. <laughs> that that would a little be... easier on our guests. Oof, yeah. I do like the tollway, though. Yeah. Well, see, I don't get to take the tollway. I'm kind of stuck in this weird area. I just, I'm always, I'm part of the slow traffic. It just does not get to go fast at all. So, but anyway, so we are here to talk about uh, something in particular. But before I get there, um, I wanted to ask a little bit about kind of how you got into nonprofit work. Like what, how did you decide to, that was the path you wanted to go down?
1: So I've always been motivated to help. And um, my first career was as a teacher, a classroom teacher, and then I became a reading specialist. And while I was doing that, I served on the board of directors for, re- for Reading is Fundamental in Austin. And it brings me such joy to connect people, children and parents and everybody through books. And um, my parents volunteered their time, and it's just something I was raised with. And so when the opportunity came up to leave the teaching field and go into nonprofit, I jumped at that because honestly because of the, the uh, testing culture. Mm. But I left for that and ended up um, managing programs at a nonprofit. And this opportunity to work at the Women's Storybook Project came up for me, and I you know, went to the website and watched their video and sitting at home and sobbing, watching the video and uh-huh. just overtaken, was overtaken by the mission and um, really felt that was where I needed to be. And that was five years ago, and it's been a wonderful journey.
0: Well, that's amazing. Um, I don't think anyone listening, unless they came to us through you, is going to know what that is. So why don't you give us a primer on what the Women's Storybook Project is?
1: Sure. The Women's Storybook Project is a nonprofit organization, and we serve children Of incarcerated mothers. Well, we can't serve the children because they're located all over Texas and all over the United States, but we can serve the mothers. So we have volunteers who go to prison every month, and we serve all 12 Texas state women's prisons, and we invite the moms to read to their children. We have a sort of a book fair, and moms get to choose books for each of their children, and then we record them on digital recorders and send the recording and the book to the child. We have a four-month program so that it's not just a one-off. It's, a, it's building communication and trust and a relationship between the mother and the child. And we do that every month, all year long.
0: Well, that's, I mean, there's many reasons that when I first started thinking about this, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure that I personally care about this problem, but... Um, but the more I researched it, there's actually some very cool things that come from it. Um, and so, uh, for anyone listening, please be patient because there's some, I think there's a lot in here, uh, that's worth knowing about this, but before we get all there, how do you, how was the book chosen? I mean, how do you get the books to them or how does the book fair work? I, I explain all that.
1: That's a fantastic question. Um, currently we only purchase one book. It's called the invisible string and it was written by Patrice Karst. And it's a wonderful story. We can talk more about that later. But that's the only book we purchase. All our other books are donated. Mm. And so whether it's from a Barnes & Noble book fair or someone's birthday party or a book club who has a book drive for us, um, we have thousands of books in the office that have been donated in. Sometimes someone will give us a gift and then we'll go out and purchase the kind of books we need uh, because we want our children to see themselves in the books um, but all our books are donated.
0: Hmm. What, what, explain what you mean by seeing themselves. Is it like a like I'm a I'm a prince or a princess kind of thing, or what? what you what know,
1: it? that's a very interesting way to look at it. Because originally, when I walked in, I had come from a, a background of a larger literacy organization, and we made absolutely sure that we were representing different cultures and different races, and and that if I'm a Hispanic child and I want to pick up a book, it's not all the books aren't white kids. Mm. And so there's a movement out out right now that is just about diversifying books, which is I find wonderful. And so we want to make sure that that mother or that child when they're seeing the books set out for them are seeing things that are appropriate to their culture. We may have 50 fairy tale books, but if they're the classic fairy tale books, there's not a black person or a hispanic person there anywhere. Mm. And now there are new versions and new new books and new ways to see everybody in books.
0: I see. Interesting. So when when they have this book fair, do you li- literally bring in like like 100 books and say you can get choose from these? Is that how that works? We or? really
1: do. When uh-huh. we set up a new unit, for example, our newest unit to set up was um, the Marlin unit, which is in Marlin, which is east of Waco. And at the Marlin unit, it, it's not very big. It's about 300 women. But we usually have a class of 25. So if we have a class of 25, there could be 50 or 70 children. We want to make sure there's a choice for all those kids. So we set up a unit with 250 to 300 books and then literally set them out. I know a lot of people remember the Scholastic Book Fair from from grade school. We set them out like a book fair by age, and then mom can choose a book for each one of her no, children. By
0: age, that's useful. Mm-hmm. Especially since they haven't read probably a hundred children's books yet, right? Well, and that's where our
1: volunteers come in so handy because so many of our volunteers are either retired teachers or grandmas or mothers, and uh, knowledgeable mm-hmm. about children's books.
0: Well, they can say like this one has this happening in it or whatever a little synopsis. I would say, right? Do they even have like a written synopsis in the front so they can say?
1: Chapter books do. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of times mom will naturally choose. A classic book her first time in she'll choose good night moon or the very hungry caterpillar well if her child is eight you know the first time they get the book and they listen to mom they're excited and then they'll talk to mom on the phone or write to her and say gee mom that was great but do they have dog man or do they have adventures of wimpy kid or something current mm-hmm. and then that starts a conversation
0: gotcha so chapter books but that, that must take some time
1: it does how does um, that how does that work Mom doesn't get a chance to read the whole chapter book, Mm. um, unless it's very short. Uh, Each mother gets 10 minutes of recording time per child. Hmm. So if she can't finish the book, she can perhaps, you know, if it's Harry Potter, read the first 10 pages and say, you know, I I, I chose this book for you. I'd love for you to read it. Please call me or write me and let me know what happened, because I'd really like to know.
0: Mm. That's cute. Yeah. Um. So 10 minutes, boy, that's, uh, that's barely a time to get through one book. It's short. Yeah, Mm. I can see, I can see why that would be, uh, (laughs) they'd really, really want to get one that was short enough to have a little conversation, kind of bookending it, no pun intended.
1: Absolutely. Because (laughs) we, we also always tell our participants, please greet your child. Please, um, give them a message, tell them you love them, um, and then at the end, you can leave another message. And remember, we talked about your spelling test. Um, study for your spelling test, or listen to grandma, or brush your teeth, or whatever, mm-hmm. or sing happy birthday. Mm-hmm. But ten minutes is not long time.
0: No, jeez, no. but I I bet it's very meaningful. Um, so, is it, do you ever have it the other way around, where the kids are sort of encouraged to read, or you know, somehow give something back to the mother, so they can, I mean. Is there any sort of like standard, here's what we'd recommend the kids do, so the grandma or whatever who's reading it or, I don't know, supplying this information between the two parties or kind of help them through that process? I'm I'm just thinking there's got to be some more mechanics there.
1: Right. There's always a caregiver because the child is living Mm -hmm. with someone. And so we send a letter with every packet, and in the letter it talks about why we're doing this and that the moms earned their way in through good behavior and we talk about um, allowing the child to listen to the recording as many times as they would like. And then um, doing it for the four months allows them sometimes to start a series and continue it. For example, a first grader might get the Magic Tree House, and they'll get four books in the series. Hmm. And so that is wonderful for helping mom and child has something to talk about. We also have bonding activities, which we encourage moms to do. And then the child can do something after that and send it back. And it sometimes when you have an incarcerated family member, it's very difficult to talk about anything because you don't want to talk about the stress of the day because it won't matter tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So what do you talk about? So now we're giving everybody something so, to that's talk a about. really
0: good point. <clears throat> yeah, so-and-so got shivved in the... <laughs> the kitchen. You can't talk about that. I know. Yeah. I mean, a, it's not child appropriate, but also right. it's not going to be meaningful in the same way that, um, you know, a month later, a year later, sure. six years later, because mom might be in there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so how do the volunteer, how does that all work with the volunteers? I mean, you have to, it's gotta be like a lot of background checks and just this weird cadence of getting them to do stuff and take time to travel all over Texas. Like how do you, how does this all work?
1: So 20 years ago when we started, they started at one prison. And so it was a very small endeavor with a, ended up making a big impact. And our volunteers stay with us for a long time. So you do have to, you have to want to participate as a volunteer. (laughs) So you have to do your initial application, um, have your background check from TDCJ and become approved and do their training.
0: And have to be able to read, I was And have to be able to read. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And once you do that, and be over 18, Uh once you do that, you're certified for two years. You're good for two years. So you just have to be patient. And so our volunteer um, coordinator is very good at bringing people into the office and helping them become involved while they're waiting. Whether they're labeling books or writing letters to moms, Um, we try to get them in while they're waiting so we don't lose them. Mm-hmm. And then a volunteer day is eight hours. So one of the nice things about volunteering for Storybook is that we only ask volunteers to do two days a year because it's a, that's a 16-hour commitment. And mm-hmm. you know, an hour, hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes a month, if you stretch it out, it's about 16 to 18 hours a year. So some people love it and they come every month. Our team leaders come every month. A lot of other volunteers will come once a quarter, and but it's a whole day. So we gather at 9 o'clock in the morning. We drive to wherever the city we're going to be in. We meet for our early lunch and get to meet our team and talk about our objectives or any new technology. And then from 12 to 3, we're inside the prison. And from 12 to 3 is when it all happens, the, the book fair type thing, the opening circle, the... Um, the opportunity for choosing books and recording, the bonding activities, and then we all come back together for the closing circle at the end to kind of debrief. It's very emotional. Mm. And then 3.30 to 5 is our drive home.
0: What's the, uh, <clears throat> the rate of uptake of your services from the prison population? Do you have a percentage likelihood of someone saying yeah to that?
1: So currently <coughs> we're serving about 16% of eligible women. Prior to the COVID pandemic, it was, it was a little bit higher than that. And it's been rather difficult as we've gone back after COVID, COVID because our word of mouth has gone away. Moms were either sent home or they finished their sentences or they paroled out. And so people don't know who we are. So we're having to launch um, communication campaigns in the library, in the dorms, among the education classes in order to get people back in. So we started back slowly with 10 people in a class initially a year ago, January, and we did that for social distancing and masking. Now we are back up to where we can take 20 to 25 women in a class and we haven't hit our threshold yet.
0: Mm -hmm. But I'm assuming this is, pardon me, I'm assuming this is also a behavior based thing as well. Like they need to, so when you say eligible, do you mean eligible because they're, behavior is good enough already or, or is that inclusive of the entire population?
1: So no, it's individual, individual woman. So you have to have 60 days case free. And that's major case, not a step out of line. It was a major case that happened. So if you have two months, 60 days case free, you can apply for our program. And then once you're accepted, you have to stay case free for the entire four months. So in order to do this program fully, a mom needs six months of good behavior, which can be a, a large challenge in prison. Yeah, I bet. Um,
0: and, and case is literally anything where they get ridden up. Yes. But is that is that also nonviolent offenses? Like, I just didn't clean up my that cell? That would be or? a minor case. Okay.
1: Well, and, and I'm going to check myself on that because okay. I honestly don't know, uh-huh. but, but there is a difference between a major and a minor case. And so major cases will prevent you from participating.
0: I see. But uh minor. Okay. Well, that's nice because, you know, some people are slobs and uh, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> they would still like to be able to, you know, reach out to their, their, their loved ones. Um, so how, like who exactly gets to decide? I mean, do you guys have some sort of veto rights? Like, well, we know this one's a troublemaker. <clears throat> We've had them before and maybe they're not, uh, Maybe they're eligible, but we don't want them. They're disruptive. So how does that work?
1: So we do have that right. However, once if a mom goes to the trouble to be case-free and do the application and she knows where her children are and what ages and what their addresses are, she wants to participate. And so we rarely have any occasion of trouble. Mm. It's And people have asked me that, and I said, it's the safest place you could ever be because, one, we have a guard. And two, the women really want to be there. And so the, the people who do our vetting for us, we have a, um, an agreement with the Wyndham School District. That is the largest school district in Texas within the Department of Corrections. And they take the applications and vet the women and make sure that no child was a victim. They make sure that there's no CPS cases, that the children are between 0 and 14. Um, um, a mother may have eight children, but she might have three that are under 14 hmm. that she can read to. And so Wyndham, the principal of the school, and her assistant do all that work.
0: Interesting. So that's that's quite, how do they get all this information? How do you work with the prisons to to gather that type of data?
1: So the initial data comes from day-to-day life in the prison, and that can be checked just through the warden. And then the applications have to go on to the... Huntsville, the central volunteer or the central student office, participant office in Huntsville, and they have to be manually checked.
0: That seems like a pretty onerous amount of it work. It is, um, but it's it's worth it
1: because yeah, we don't no, want I'm a not, child
0: to be hurt. Of course, yeah. of course. Um, I'm just thinking, I mean, that means you have to have a really, I mean, on top of being getting access to the prison, getting access to their records is... I don't know, somehow worse uh, or more difficult or whatever. I don't know what the right way to phrase that is. Uh, So you have to have a pretty cozy relationship with the prisons, I'm assuming.
1: We have a well-respected relationship. Mm -hmm. We've been doing this for so long that as, as women's units were opened, we were allowed in. So my founder, Judith Delnig, when she first started, they worked at one unit. And over the years, they went to two, three, and four. And her dream was to serve any woman wanted to be served at a texas state prison well she never expected there to be 12 and so as we grew um, we kept basically using the folks we had met and the relationships that we had developed in order to prove our reputation and go into a new prison Mm -hmm. so we do have a very good reputation we we don't we take in volunteers who know what they're doing we don't um, flaunt the rules. We don't wear what we're not supposed to wear. Um, we we make it easy for the guards and for the prison to work with us.
0: Yeah, I would assume, yeah, you have to have a pre-meeting. You can't have these types of jewelry or right. whatever. Interesting. So how does this work as an incentive? Like, I mean, have you had any sort of some um, anecdotes or whatever of, of how people look forward to these events? Because they, I mean, I got to imagine, well, first of all, probably a question I should ask first is how often do you go to any one prison
1: once? (coughs) Excuse
0: me. Once a month. Okay. So that they've got to be looking forward to that all month long. I'd imagine once they've done it, especially. So what, what sort of uh, feedback have you gotten about wanting to stay sort of, you know, straight and narrow because of your program?
1: We've had women tell us, I've had a woman tell me in class that um, I could have gotten in a fight this morning and I walked away because I wanted to read to my son and actively making choices that will serve the rest of their life rather than serve their emotions in the moment. And um, we do, we get letters, we get thank you letters from grandparents, from caregivers, from kids. Um, We recently had an email from a grandma who said, or from a mother actually, I'm sorry, her son is dyslexic Hmm. and he had never read to her and she's been gone for a couple of years and he is seven now. And she chose a very simple book to read to him, one of those beginning readers. And he listened to it, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. And the last time she called, he read her that book. And he was so happy and so proud that he could read that book to her. And she said, you know, she had tears in her eyes. Grandma was watching and had tears in her eyes. And he, he wanted to do it because mom sent it not because somebody gave it to him at the book fair or not because he necessarily even loved the book, but he, mom sent it, mm-hmm. and that was motivation. And as a former reading specialist, I don't care if it was memorized. I don't care what he did to do, to read that book, but he read the book. Sure did. And so he was so proud, and so they wanted to tell us about that.
0: Something to be said about loving your mom. Absolutely. Um, so, Yeah. So does this help in uh, getting them out of jail? I mean, is this aid in lower recidivism rates? Um, we'll talk about that a little bit more in, in a bit too, but uh, but also just getting out and the process of making sure that they are more likely to parole out of, of prison for good behavior.
1: I can't tell you that we have solid numbers because we honestly don't have access to our mothers after they leave our program. Our, our goal is to to keep them from coming back. So lower recidivism. Now we don't know, we know anecdotally that it it allows mothers to have hope to go home. We give a certificate at the end of the four months and we know that mothers use that and give it to the parole board. And often they ask for two certificates so they can keep one and give one to the parole board because it does show that they're making positive steps and doing things to connect to their family and that is research proven. So we know that women who are connected to their families in a strong manner are 67 less, sixty-seven times less likely times, to recidivate. Times. Percent. Percent. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Those are big differences. Percent. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> like, whoa, that's a Percent. crazy big
0: number. Uh, but that's still incredibly high. Incredibly mm-hmm. high. Um, you're going to have to repeat that. Sure. So 67%
1: of mothers who are actively connected to their families and children are less likely to recidivate.
0: That's crazy. Yeah.
1: And oh. it says something, I'm sorry. No, that's it says amazing. something about our justice system that's is amazing. that given the opportunity to do something for themselves and their family, they will do it. And we just had a, a fundraising luncheon last week um, for which we do every year. And um, one of our alumni was a speaker And she said the first time she did storybook, it didn't change her life, but it helped her understand that there were things she could do positively. Well, she went home, she ended up back in prison, she did it again because now she had another daughter, and she said with that daughter, it changed the relationship. And then she went on to participate with another program that brought her daughter to visit her. And that's what did it, the, the constancy of seeing her daughter. Mm-hmm. So in tandem with other programs for positive parenting, I believe Storybook makes a difference.
0: That's great. So I'm going to throw some naysayer type things at you. Sure. Not because I personally am, but I just kind of want to get the conversation going. Just so anybody mm-hmm. thinking like, hey, why don't you? And so this is the first one. Why don't you just have a program, as you said, to bring the prison the children to the prison? Why not? Why not just get them over and have that be the thing that uh, motivates the, the mother?
1: I think that's a fantastic idea, and there are a couple of people out there doing it. And the effect it's a it's a breadth effect rather than a broad effect. So there's a program right now that brings twenty girls to prison once a month for the. Duration of mom's stay. Well, those twenty girls, you know, some moms will come home, and then new new girls will come into the program. But over five years, that may be only thirty girls, and thirty moms. So it's a very small slice of impact. Hmm. With uh, Storybook, even though it's less of an impact, we can reach many more women, and allow that to grow and blossom and take root um, in their families. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I see it. I f- certainly agree with that. But I also see it as um, you can't take home your mom from visiting your mom. You know, I mean, you still have a memory of it, but it's so much more interesting to have a tangible thing where you could just hear their voice over and over and over. And and um, to some extent, by virtue of it being, you know, sort of a message in a bottle um, in the, you know, in the sort of the romantic sense where it's kind of just sent off into the ether and you hope they get it. Um, That makes, you don't have to look in the face of your children's eyes who are sitting there looking at you without your makeup on and not, you know, I mean, there's, there is a certain amount of pride in you know what, what they want to present to their children and they don't really get to do that. Not to mention, I'm sure a lot of these kids live all over the place Um, and it might be very, very difficult uh, to find somebody to transport them across state lines, et cetera. So I think I think this is just more convenient and better in many ways, um, possibly in tandem with that other, but um, maybe just by itself. Um, really, really potent. It it
1: does allow us to reach kids who are far away. Um, the year I came in, we served 108 counties in Texas and 32 states because wow. our population was very high. <laughs> Last year we served, I believe it's 88 counties. And, and 12 states because Still pretty high. it is pretty high. And if mom does her crime in Texas, she's going to serve the time here. And so it doesn't matter if you're, if your kids are in Florida or if your kids are in Indiana, you're going to be here. And even if you are in Texas, think about driving from El Paso to Gatesville. It's, it's prohibitive. It's, you can't make it in a day. It's expensive, and we know our incarcerated folks are coming from poverty. Yeah, right. So it's very unrealistic to get a visit.
0: And coordination, and yes. uh, there's a million other things that make it— It's not a bad idea. It's just so much less practical than the message-in-the-bottle approach. Yes. Um, so this is another thing. I, I already know the answer to it, but I'm sure somebody will think it online. Um, why not uh, fathers, too? Why just mothers? So
1: I personally have no problem with serving fathers. I think it's a great idea. I think it would be hugely effective. Um, The reason that the Women's Storybook Project does not serve fathers is that Judith, our founder, when she started, her motivation was from learning about a program they had in Illinois that was solely for mothers, and her mother died when she was seven. she would have given anything to hear her mother's voice again. So it's not an exclusive club. It's just not an inclusive club yet. Mm-hmm. Because, as I said, her goal was to reach every woman who wanted to read to her children. And we haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we're in all 12 state prisons, but we could double our service. And so in, in the light years that it takes to develop a fully served, fully served population, we just haven't gotten there. Mm-hmm. And um, it doesn't mean we won't or we can't, but I also want to say that men, the prison system was designed for men and men have a lot more programs than women do. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know that. Exponentially more.
0: Oh, um, is it like work programs? Is that what you mean?
1: Work programs, recreational programs, recovery programs, because they've been around for 50, 75 years. Mm. And women's programs, women's prisons, and programs are relatively new, and it's about ten percent of the prison population that's women. Hmm. So there's a whole lot more men in the system.
0: So there, there are other uh, groups trying to do this for men. The National Fatherhood Initiative, Inside Out Dad. Um, so I'd, I'd say, the prison population is being served in this way, um, yes. which is, which is great. I mean. <clears throat> Um, the more, I think there is something to this. Um, and the more, the more research I did in this, cause I always do research ahead of time for these, uh, more research I did into it. Uh, the further I got down the pipe, I'm like, actually, I really like this idea. I think it has a lot of merit. Um, so, um, another throwaway question that I'm sure someone will have in the back of their head. Um, why do we care? Why do we care about this population? I mean, they're are clearly criminals why are we spending any time on them at all
1: there are so many good answers to that question mm-hmm. and one of them is comes up a lot with volunteers is therefore what's that quote therefore but the grace of god go i it i was amazed when i started going to prison at number one how young the women were and number two we don't look at offenses it's not our job we don't care why the women are there. Um, If the women are there for in any way harming a child, they're not going to get into our program. So the offenses could range from, from fraud to drugs to assault. We don't know. But we do know that there are many women there because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so having said all of that, the women there represent us. They're not that different from us. They're mothers. Mm-hmm. And any mother wants any other mother to be able to connect to her child because we know they're going home. And so why would we deprive a child of the opportunity to hear their mother when we know from education research that being read to is one of the strongest predictors of success? Mm-hmm. And we don't want the school-to-prison pipeline to continue. We want to stop it yeah. and say, okay, okay, let's help these kids have success and kids like to listen to the same story a hundred times yeah. anyone who's read hop on pop hop on pop knows that so I try to avoid it myself but uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's and it's crazy because you know five little monkeys hop on pop the very hungry caterpillar these are cultural phenomena we these everybody knows who these are unless you don't have children yet and you will <laughs> or, or you will know these books because they're so important they they it's not just the words it's the time on mom's lap it's it's the the sense of importance the sense of time spent with your parent Mm -hmm. and so other than motivation to serve or motivation by faith i believe it's important especially as a reading specialist to make sure these stories are getting planted Mm -hmm. um whether it's by grandma or a foster parent or mom, anybody who can read to a child, go read to a child.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you said you don't know about their offenses, but I'm sure it comes up occasionally. Like, oh, I'm in here for blah, blah, blah. I mean, do you get any sense from that um, about what the common offenses tend to be?
1: Very rarely. Uh, um, however, I do know, but there is some common knowledge. A lot of mass incarceration is from add- Addiction. Yeah, of course. You know, drugs. And so three times you're out, and there is no discussion. Right. That we have a lot of people who were either in possession or um, exchanging or selling, because you'll do whatever you can to feed that. Yes. And and
0: then you have this massive amount of regret immediately afterwards because you've just been a shitty person for however long you've been on drugs. I think that's one of the things that... I see when uh, when people have been really, truly affected by drugs for a long period of time, their skin is, you know, not so great and their teeth mm-hmm. are not so great. And even if they're off the drugs, they look, one look in the mirror and they look at their teeth and they're like, you know, just, you can't be prideful in that moment, you know? Like how many people did you rob, cheat, and steal to get to where you are? And that's that's gotta be rough. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh
1: I think that's why it's so emotional when our moms read, because if, for example, a mother was addicted and got in trouble and is in prison, and now is being this, offered this chance to read to her child, if her child was two when she left, and now her child is six, and she has 10 minutes to sit and read to her child, it's so glaring what's missing how much she has missed, how much she misses her child, and, and that's where the emotions come in. That's where it's difficult for moms to do this. And, and by the time they finish, they feel better, and they, they feel hopeful and happy that they got to do it. Um, it's, it's just life-changing.
0: I think one of the epiphanies I had as I was going through this, you know, I'm just trying to put myself in the position of these women in this very specific situation where you're now reading for the first time possibly ever a story to your child how weird a thought is it that for the very first time in their life they're actually being a good mother you know and for I'm sure a lot of these women they're actually just better mothers in this situation finally in prison than they ever were on the outside up to that point anyway you know maybe they turn their life around at that point but it's a really strange mental leap to go oh actually maybe prison makes good moms um, it, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you get my point though, yes. in this very specific circumstance where you, you're giving them the tools to see what they're missing as opposed right. to just this, Oh, I got this kid at home or whatever, you know, maybe right. you have a photo of them and that's it kind of deal like this, this communication I think is really important.
1: Right. And you make a good point though, because prison is not a place where you're allowed to be a mom. You're not, first of all, you're not called by your name. There is no individual you in prison, and you are discouraged at all times from talking about your family. It can be dangerous. It can be, you know, you're seen as is that right? weaker. Hmm. Sure, because it's it, prison has its own culture, its own hierarchy, its own way of being. And so this these three hours on a Saturday are kind of a deep breath for moms so that they can be called by their name and talk about their children and remember if, if they had a good relationship with their children, they can remember that and relate that and talk to the other moms about it. I was going to say that,
0: that seems like a bonding moment as well for the mothers. So they can all kind of root for each other to get out. Yeah. That's great. I haven't even thought about that. Um, Also, it seems I was, I was doing a little research on the, the effect on the child. It seems like number one, um, is probably this is probably not number one but it's it's way up there is a reduced amount of stress on the child because now they have something from their mother right there's some way to have some connection and I was doing some more research on it and apparently it is considered an adverse childhood exper- uh, experience Ace if mm-hmm. your mother has been incarcerated so any any anecdotes from from the child's side about how they how they've reacted?
1: We have, I have a couple, yes. So we had, um I'm trying to think of which one to do first. We had a mom and a child doing the program last year. And uh, we got a letter, or, or I'm sorry, it wasn't a letter. It was just an exchange at when we were there for the second or third visit. And mom said, I was so excited because my child took me for show and tell. And so she said, whatever book they had, you know, maybe chrysanthemum or something like that she said my child took the book and took her her grandma's phone and logged in and let me read to the kids and it was all recorded but she got to participate with her wow. class in an experience that she didn't get before because her mom wasn't there but now she had her mom's voice and so that made her feel better it gave her more self-worth because her mom could come too. And then we have another letter, and this is quite a few years old, but we have a letter from a 14-year-old girl, and she was living in Colorado, and she wrote in and said, thank you so much for this program. I'm 14 years old, and my mom's been incarcerated for two years, and I haven't heard from her. And she read me my favorite childhood book, Skippy John Jones, and I loved the book, and it was so exciting to hear her voice, and I wish that this program could be everywhere for every child who has someone incarcerated. Because she she said, it made me feel like I wasn't forgotten and I wasn't abandoned, and I know I'm 14, but this is important to me. And so it just is, it's a good thing. Um, There's also books on the subject. We started recently a book club for our volunteers and our supporters, or anyone really, who wants to learn more about the incarcerated population and we read a book called Ruby on, the in- Ruby on the Outside. And it's about a fourth grade girl who doesn't want to tell anybody where her mom is. Because it's embarrassing. You don't, to, you don't want to say, oh, my mom's in prison. But it, it happens more. And one out of five children has a parent in prison.
0: Is that true? Yeah. That's incredible. In the
1: United States, yes. We incarcerate a lot of
0: people. <clears throat> That's an incredible stat. I didn't know that. So what is it about, <clears throat> you came from um, a reading background. What, what is it about reading that gets you excited? What, there's something about, it. you've had it in your career for quite a while. I have. Why specifically reading?
1: So I was really lucky to be raised in a family of readers. And so there were always, there, may, there weren't an abundance of books, but we were a, fi- a family who used the library. Mm-hmm. And I really think you can learn anything from a children's book. And I know that, and I like adult books too, um, but children's books have so much wisdom in them and so much humor and they're easy. Even if you're not highly literate, you can read a children's book usually. And so I'm trying to think of a common book, um, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you learn from that book? Don't eat till you get sick. (laughs) You know, it's a really good (laughs) message of, you know, jumping on a nice green leaf is good for you. Or um, Curious George, we all learn from Curious George. Now he had adventures, but he gotten into some trouble too. And there's just, it's sweet. It's a sweet thing um, that you learn from the characters. And you don't have to sit down and say, you see, Billy, <laughs> this is what you should do. It, the message is in there. And kids don't need it to be a boy or a girl. It can be an elephant and a piggy. It can be anyone mm-hmm. teaching things. And... I think that it gives a mediator to an adult and adult or an adult and a child to break the ice. And just on that we've had many family members tell us I couldn't forgive my daughter until I heard her voice on the tape. Really? Yeah. Because so much damage has been done. If you think about even people who are addicts they're doing their only thought is themselves. And so they're doing a lot of damage to their family as they go through that journey on their way to prison. And often hearing, hearing their voice helps to heal.
0: I would assume there's got to be a lot of tears at the end of these things. A lot of tears, (laughs) but they're happy
1: tears. They're good.
0: Yeah. I would imagine so. They're good. Uh, Do we have any stats on what happens um, with relation to the children um, who do get read to and don't in this context?
1: We don't. There are some people out there doing it. There's a researcher from Texas Tech who's working with dads up in a prison in South Dakota, and he's tried to get some numbers, but they're slow in coming because he didn't have too many people apply for his first class. There are um, other programs around the world doing numbers, Um, but no, we haven't had any luck or any chance to get any testing research on the kids because of privacy. Um, there is an organization in Austin called the Seedling Foundation that provides mentors for children with an incarcerated parent. And they, I'm not sure, but they may have more access to data in regards to mentoring and the success of mentoring the child of incarcerated parents.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I was, I was also curious about literacy. Have you had any sort of measuring of of even the incarcerated women who you have a little bit more contact with directly about their literacy, because I'm assuming not all of them are particularly literate going in, um, and they might want to become literate just to be able to do this, um, or might be learning kind of along with the child right. um, in some cases.
1: So I, will, I can tell you that because we work through the school system, I know that if you don't have your GED, the Wyndham School District within TDCJ will do everything in their power to help you get it, to make sure you get your GED. And so usually the women we work with are reading. They may not be reading on an eighth grade level, but they're reading well enough to read a children's book. Um, If they need help, we we encourage them to, they could borrow the book until the next time, or they could have extra time and read at the end, So if there's 12 people to read, they could be the last one, so they have time to practice. Or often, because now we have a digital recorder, we can press pause. And if we need to, we can even feed the lines and then press pause again. And that's a wonderful improvement from our last technology. Um, We've gone from cassette tapes to flash drives that didn't have any functions on them Mm -hmm. to the digital recorders that can pause. So we've got a way for anyone to record... But I honestly haven't seen women with low literacy. I know they're out there. Mm. Um, but maybe they haven't made it into the school district yet.
0: What if they're just um, embarrassed? And, Possibly. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about recidivism because this is for me, this was the the reason I started caring. I mean mm-hmm. when I went I mean, all this is nice. I like it, but I didn't care until I saw this. Um your stat you said is 67 is that right? Percent, yeah. 67% reduction in recidivism. That that is incredible. I've never heard of a stat anywhere near that in terms of stopping people from going back in. Um the uh that same organization I was talking about the NFI they claim a 37% reduction for the men, which is incredible. I mean that's I can't even imagine another program that would be anywhere near that successful. That's, that's not invasive. You know, it's not forcing them to do crazy things. It's just, do you want to read your kid? And it also has the net benefit of helping the child out at the same time. I mean, everyone should be advocating for this. This is incredible. I mean, I bet that number could even be pushed much, much higher if we took additional, you know, made it more a frequent thing or, you know, added additional services along with it as supplements or whatever. It's kind of incredible.
1: It is. And one of the, uh, there are a couple of reasons I think it's that effective is when you have a connection with your child and you're sober and you're, whether or not you're truly in recovery, you know, that you're promising that next month you're going to read to your child. You know that you're making that four-month commitment. And we also offer an extended four-month commitment via the mail. So we'll keep on providing books and we'll keep on providing bonding activities while the women have to take a break from recording. Women are the primary caregivers.
0: I mean, why it's it, and, that kills me. It seems like you should just keep going until they get out. Give them even more reasons to be like, I'm not going to get in trouble. <laughs> well, absolutely. I
1: agree with you. Um, because
0: that that's just a funding thing.
1: For us, it is. We're, we just haven't grown large enough, and it's also a volunteer workforce issue. Hmm. If I could if I could wave my wand and have a staff of 20 and then have a volunteer staff of 500, we would do it. We would do it in a minute. It's also a space issue of are there enough classrooms? Are there enough recording rooms? And they're not. It's, there's often not enough um, guards. That's a true issue, and that has stopped us from going some Saturdays because of the um, employee shortage, because we can show up, and if there's not a guard for us, we can't go in. And so there's many, many things, just little rocks in the pathway. Um, how,
0: how devastating to be a mom and find out you can't do it because, you know. There's not a guard. a guard sick yeah. or whatever. Oof.
1: Yeah. Or there, or there was a fight. So now we don't get a guard.
0: Right. Well, that's a separate issue, yeah. but. It uh, is. But,
1: but anything that takes a guard away, yeah, you know, um, and they would, they would, they would sign, you know, they would sign their lives away, not literally, but to, to say, I won't do anything, please let me record. Um, but it's that connection and that want f- to take care of your children. Um, because men are not often the primary caregivers even if a couple becomes incarcerated mom will often go home first to or work to go home first
0: mm-hmm. um so i know we we mentioned incarceration and mass incarceration what are, what are your feelings on people going to prison and how many people are going to prison do you have any sense of that and like are, we, are our laws just? Are we doing what we should be doing? Or does there need to be a rethinking of how people end up in these positions in the first place?
1: I believe our country, I can't say a whole lot about incarceration because I don't, there's laws that ha- that need to change for that to happen.
0: Yeah, Let's. you got, However, your, ma- you got your magic wand. I got my magic wand. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: believe that someone who needs rehab should go to rehab. Even if they committed a crime, I think they should be provided with rehab um, because they need to heal from their addiction to be able to be a functioning person in society. And that's a whole nother layer of, of what's going on in our country is that this addiction, which caused the mass incarceration. And so we're blaming people. Oh, we're sorry. You got addicted. You have to go to prison now because you were carrying the drugs. I don't agree with that. And I also believe that in America and in Texas particularly, prison is still for punishment. It isn't punishment. It's for punishment. And there's a huge difference. And a lot of the research that's going on in effective incarceration says that prison is punishment. So once a person is there... And taken away from their environment, taken away from their family, that's the punishment. So we're not going to put them in a concrete cell and we're not going to make them work 10 hours a day. We're going to teach them how to be a valuable member of society and have them live in a group and work in a group and learn how to have people skills um, so that when they leave, they can walk into society and, and... be active, productive members.
0: And do you think that's working? <laughs> uh, no, not
1: here. I, I think it's working. There are, there are programs in Europe, I believe it's Norway, that has a flagship program of this. There's programs in Minnesota. There are programs happening around the world where, where the philosophy of incarceration has changed. There's questions being asked, because one of the things our women face and I know the men face this, too, before anybody says, what about the men? Everybody who's in prison has been traumatized. But the women often experience trauma in their life and then are re-traumatized in prison. And they're over and over continually blamed for their trauma. And you, you can't heal that way.
0: Why do you think the prison systems don't do this themselves? Why, why don't they have this program just built into the state?
1: History. It's history. It's, prison programs were not built for rehabilitation. Prison programs were built to segregate and to punish and to enslave and to keep people separate who weren't up to par or who the people running the system believed weren't up to par. That is not anybody's factual statement. That's my, what I gained from you're, you're, you're my You're allowed learning. to have an opinion.
0: Yes. But, uh, so why, if history is one thing, what about today? Why not, why not make this part of a standard practice within every prison?
1: That's a really good question. I, I think that there are a lot of people who would, who would say we should do that, and then there's so many more people who are still angry, who say if someone breaks a law they have to go away and they just have to sit
0: yeah well you know i, I might even agree with that statement with the comma and come out a good person you know if, sure. if, if they're sure. going to if they if you punish them that's okay whatever you have a reasons to punish them but wouldn't you like them to be a good citizen when they come out and not go back and not you know commit additional crimes because that's really what we're talking about here right It doesn't matter what side you're on. You can say, I don't like the punishment or I do like the punishment, but you probably don't want them doing crime. Of course. Um, And that seems like, it seems like a, almost a silver bullet. I mean, within obvious reasons, uh, with obvious reason, number one, people are not all on board with this and not every prisoner is um, in the place where they can be rehabilitated. So they fall outside of that. And then certain people just aren't interested for whatever reason. You know, they they are totally estranged and they don't, you know.
1: Or or mentally ill.
0: My kid hates me or mentally ill, right? There's other things. But for those who can be rehabilitated, this feels like an obvious thing you'd want to do.
1: There's a really bright spot in women's incarceration in Texas, and it's called the STRIVE program. It's Strength Through Restoration, Independence, and now I can't remember the rest of the <laughs> acronym. It's a long acronym. But it's taking place at the Mountain View Unit in Gatesville. And STRIVE is for women who are ready to go home. They're within 16 weeks of going home. And they are placed at the STRIVE Unit to be given resources and education to help them succeed when they get home. So, for example, they, depending on how long they've been gone, they use, learn how to use a smartphone, learn how to use a computer, or make a Zoom call, they can take job training for quite a few different certificate programs. They leave, there's a boutique there, kind of like a Goodwill boutique, where they receive seven days of clothing and the proper shoes for their work. And um, so many things from the STRIVE program. We go in and we have them read to their kids and start that relationship and provide literacy resources and some parenting resources f- to to mind the gap, to mm. to. Shorten that gap. And so that's a really bright spot, I think, in in slowing down recidivism is to not just give someone a, pair, a some clothes and a duffel bag and fifty dollars. Here you go. Good luck. Um, but there's also you know helping people into transitional housing or halfway houses or ways to help succeed after you go home so that is a bright spot that's happening here in texas
0: that's great and that's just one so uh, far yeah okay so it's it must be experimental i'm guessing
1: it's a pilot that started about a year prior to covid so it really took a big hit during covid oh, and so it's been going for about three years if you take out covid
0: okay yeah yeah anything that happened during covid yeah. I, I think it's <laughs> basically throw away you're not going to learn very much <clears throat> sure. well, hopefully they keep it going to see see how well it works so here are the current stats I was able to pull, and feel free to tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, there's 8,589 approximately women incarcerated in Texas, 80% are mothers, which is 6,878. Does that sound? That sounds perfect, Okay. Yeah. Uh, mothers, on average, have two children across those 12 prisons. Um, and uh, fathers, um, since I'm sure some people will be wondering, uh, this is a... According to PrisonFellowship.org, have ninety-two percent of them are fathers, which I thought was very interesting. Um, so, only eighty percent were mothers, and I think the, the rationale, the reason why, is uh, the men are more likely to be deadbeats and get, you know, be promiscuous with many people, and they can get one of them pregnant. Um, sure. So that might be why it's slightly higher. And also women tend to be younger, as you said. Um, so, um, and mothers tend to not want to go to jail at all. Um, and so they're less likely to commit crimes. And so that's probably why those numbers are slightly skewed um, as fathers being more likely to have, um, have sired offspring. That's enormous statistics. Uh, 80 and 92, if you average that out, whatever that is, 87 or something, 86% or whatever it is, that's a lot of parents. Um, it is. So I think there, I think there's a lot more juice to be squeezed out of that concept.
1: Absolutely. There's, and and there are programs. We often get calls and say, "Well, how can I start this in my state, or how can we do this in another oh, area?" Yeah, do you really
0: interesting? Mm-hmm.
1: That's great. And it's, it says, it's as simple as getting books and recorders, but it's as difficult as, you know, working working out a plan with the prison. Um, and there are many, many different ways to do this.
0: So have you thought about franchising your model out and just making it part of the big umbrella and making a national thing?
1: We've thought about that. Um, one of the difficulties is that every state prison, it's the difference between federal and state. Every state prison is different. Every state prison system is different. And so, You know, for example, in Arkansas, there's this storybook project of Arkansas, and they go in to, I guess there's co-ed prisons with women on one side, men on the other, and they go in on one day a month, and they just record to anybody who's ready to record. That's great. And so sometimes they'll have 50 people, sometimes they'll have 150, um, but it's not a add-on program, like you don't do it for four months, and it's just different. And so I'm, you know, there's many, many different ways to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, we want any idea on how well that program is working. I
1: have no idea. Right. I, I haven't looked. I just have gotten to see them in, you know, on Facebook and in the news and and watch their progress. And
0: they're, I'd be curious if there's any stat differences between the two. Just you yeah. know, anecdotes or anything else. How how would the if the models are slightly different. If which one's working slightly better, or if they're the same, yeah. or what.
1: And I think really there the privacy laws will keep us from any data like that. Um, I know they have anecdotal data of thanks from the families, but anything we can do to help unite families is going to make it better. Um, some, some organizations do days with dads or days with moms. Some provide, um, makeovers for visiting rooms where they make it more family friendly and give books. And so we've given books. We haven't been able to do any makeovers. Um, and there are some even experimenting with video, with having um, the parents read on video. But there's that's a kind of a tough call because, yeah, as you mentioned I, before, yeah. not everyone wants to be on video.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you've watched enough prison shows, you know those women are not feeling and looking their best in prison. So, right. and, I, and I really do think there's something about being prideful about the way you look, men and women. I don't think that's you know unique to women. Um, that the prison probably you know. Get in a fight or whatever, or, you know. It just you don't get to cut your hair as much as you normally would. So you can't do that cool thing you do with your hair, you know, or whatever. I'm sure you know wigs and makeup and all that stuff's just out. So it's like that's not my mom. I don't. I don't even recognize her. You know? Right. She's she's so much prettier than that or whatever. So, um, also I think there is something too that the um, the distance it's actually useful makes people yearn and. I think a big part of being successful is desiring the future. And if you're already getting it, where you get to talk to them in real time, I could see, and also allows for conflict. You know, you didn't do your homework, and, you know, if you don't get that opportunity to get into a fight, it's, it, you're just romanticizing the future.
1: Right. And that's an issue we face, or we've begun to deal with, with our women in Strive. Because they're going home and they're starting to face the reality of that. And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And what does it mean when your daughter's been living with grandpa for three years and he lets her do whatever she wants? And can you walk right in and say, no, 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 I'm home. We're not going to do that anymore. Or do you have to ease your way in and ease your way back into being the primary parent? It's very difficult and very anxiety causing
0: yeah, as part of the reentry program, I was thinking about this in terms of the possibly strained relationship up to that point. So imagine a woman is thinking about coming back to her family. She had she was very estranged, and she's trying to reenter. Um, it would be so much easier when there was some goodwill. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and I think. Um, it might really change. It, they might be very standoffish and like, I'm not sure I want you back in my life after the 800 things you did wrong before you went sure. to jail. Um, but if, if they're hearing you be a good person to your child and, and because uh, there's going to be c- the other caregiver who's going to naturally have a lot of thoughts about uh, you back in the life. Um, I I would imagine that would soften the, the reentry.
1: I would hope so. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know if, I think it, it naturally would. Mm-hmm. But you never know. It's very difficult to go back to any place you've had conflict. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes that's not even recommended mm-hmm. for for the mom to go back to the place where she started.
0: So this is the tw- 20th year anniversary coming yes. up or is it, it this or, year? Oh, we're in it. We're in it. We're mm-hmm. in it. We're in it. We're in it. Well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. That's a long time to have done anything at all, <laughs> let alone something this complicated. Um, so what are the big kind of, we learned sort of things from this past 20 years or.
1: That's a great question. Yeah. So we have learned so much as far as uh, we've learned that we have incredible supporters, once you've been a volunteer or you've experienced this or even watched the video and seen the changes and seen the, the effect of this, uh, Judith loves to say it's a small program with a big impact, and she's absolutely right because you you just feel it and you just say, well, of course, of course we have to help these kids reconnect to their moms. But I think the five years that I've been here, the most important thing I've learned is flexibility because you you want the best you want the largest class you can get you want your team leaders to be successful and your volunteers and sometimes there's not a guard and sometimes there's covid and sometimes you have to wait in a line of visitors that's 45 minutes long until you can get in and it shouldn't matter and we try to teach everyone teach all our volunteers and teach everyone who works with us that to expect the unexpected. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Because, you know, we don't, we're visitors. And so we don't make demands when we're there. Um, And we appreciate the fact that we're allowed to be present and allowed to do our program. And sometimes you can get a little bit, well, I can get a little bit defensive and say, well, what do you mean you didn't get in? Oh, well, I'll call somebody. Well, maybe it won't do me any good to call anybody because we just didn't have the ability to get in that day. Um, but flexibility and respect for the people who are working in the system. I was going
0: to ask you a question about that. How yeah. do the guards feel about you? I mean, are you well received by the guards or are they just kind of like, oh, here's another group of people coming in? Or how do we you are
1: Really well received oh, by the guards. Good, um, good. If a guard is brand new and doesn't have any idea who we are, then it can be difficult. But generally, all the guards are very well, re- um, we're received very well by them. We even have guards who will come in on their day off so that we can do storybook. Wow. Um, we've had guards who said, oh, no, I'm not working today. I'm just here for you. <laughs> and they'll be there for those three hours. That's awesome.
0: And because it helps them. And and. I was going to say, it must be... Like oh, there's just it's so much less drama in the in the unit or whatever when yes. when this is around.
1: Well, it helps. Yes, it helps the unit. It's a win-win-win. It helps the unit. It helps the mother. It helps the child and family. Um, That's great because you want when the women are united for a better purpose, things are going to go better on your in your dorm mm-hmm. or on your hallway. Um, so yeah, the guards are wonderful and the. School district, the wardens, the guards have all been fantastic to us. And we let them know how important they are.
0: Yeah. I mean, it takes two to tango in that case, right? Yes. I mean, without you, it's nothing. Without them, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And and we have, you know, we've got the 10 prisons within the Central Texas area. And then two of our prisons are out in Dayton, which is Northeast Texas. And so those are a little bit more difficult, but we've got um, really fantastic volunteers out there and team leaders who pretty much are on their own. We make sure we visit them and make sure we've got all the supplies out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is important whenever a new warden comes in, whenever a new principal comes in, you have to let them know who you are and what you do and then, then get them and connected with someone else who knows.
0: Oh, so you have sort of reference uh, wardens like you should talk to us. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Well, you got to pump up those, uh, CV, uh, bullet points, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, That's funny. Uh, so are you doing anything special for the 20th, uh, big party or anything? Uh, we
1: are, we're having a, um, 20th anniversary celebration on December 2nd. Mm-hmm. We're going to go with the weather's going to hold out for us. Oh, yeah. Good and, luck. Um, it's Texas. <laughs> I know, but it, it, we're going to have it at the, Oh, the museum, the, um, Neal Cochrane House Museum okay which they have indoor outdoor facilities it's okay. a beautiful old home and museum on the campus of UT and so we'll celebrate all our volunteers and donors and long-term long-term people who've been involved for forever and we'll be um, initiating a founders fund which will be in honor of Judith Dolnig and that will the fund will be built in order to cover program expenses should we ever have another shutdown or Mm. Things like that.
0: Got it. Um, How many recordings have you done so far out of curiosity?
1: I just looked at this number the other day.
0: It's well over 20,000. 20,000. That's good. But I'd love to see that number way higher. I mean, way higher. Um, I think it would be great. Um, Do you keep copies of them?
1: We never did Uh until we started using the digital recorders. And now we keep copies for a year. Uh-huh. So we have our Google Drive, you know, facility in the cloud, wherever. And we start, I've, blah.
0: Well, it'd be good to be able to share it to them later on, you know. You did this five years ago. You did this right. 10 years ago because they might lose track of them or whatever.
1: It's a good idea because the cassettes, I know children who still have the cassettes mm-hmm. um, and the CDs. With the digital file, we will save all of those for a year. And it's a good point. We should probably handpick some and save them but they can also download them onto their phone or their iPad or their computer and save them forever. Mm -hmm. So there's two options for that.
0: Yeah. It would just be nice to be able to, um, you know, three years ago you did this and just to kind of, and it's also a way to reconnect to them. Like how are things going? And you could ask them questions about how it affected them and start getting more testimonials. I don't know. Just thinking like a marketer. (laughs) As long as we can get permission, that would be, yeah. 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 I also have to have their address, which you may not be able to get, Yeah, exactly. Okay, so Mother's Day, fast approaching. Um, anything special for the mothers out there?
1: We do, actually. Uh-huh. Um, we've got two things. So if you would like to make a donation to the Women's Storybook Project, a $25 donation in honor of your mother, we will send a copy of the Invisible Spring, String to one of our moms. Mm. And so that's a lovely way to give the mom who has everything, a wonderful gift, so it's mm. helping us, but it's also well, helping well, another mother. It donated. Um, Thank you. Yes, of course. And then we're, um, if you are more into traditional gifting, we have a Kendra Scott event on Friday and Saturday, the 12th and the 13th of May, at the flagship store on Lamar. Mm-hmm. And if you come in and mention Storybook Project, when you check out, we will get 20% of the receipts.
0: That's great. That's so great. Double duty gifting. Well, I mean, it's... I think it's wonderful. Um, can you tell me about the sister projects? Uh, any anything else that people m- might know that are, might kind of similar that uh, might be interesting? Sure.
1: Uh, there is uh, Girls Embracing Mothers, which is out of Dallas, and um, they are the organization that brings um, girls every month to see their mom. Mm-hmm. There's Troop fifteen hundred, uh, which is a Girl Scout, a Girl Scout troop, which Once a month, the girls visit their moms in Gatesville and they have a Girl Scout day and they do badges and everything else you would do as a Girl Scout. You just do it in the visiting room of the prison or in a special room. Mm -hmm. So we've got Girl Scouts, we've got gems. There is a new one called Flick Shop. And Flick Shop was started by Marcus Bullock and he, when he was incarcerated, his mother wrote him a postcard every day, Mm. every day of his incarceration. And it changed him. It made him first realize how much she loved him and then understand what that postcard meant. And so he has started Flick Shop, where you can write a postcard to a prisoner for $1.25, the cost of printing and postage, and encourage anyone. You can choose off a list, or you can donate the twelve fifty a month and let family members write to their incarcerated loved ones which I think is beautiful because you're enabling communication and every communication in prison costs so much.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So those are the main ones I know about. That's right great.
0: Now. Um, so what do you need? I mean, obviously cash would be useful, but what about volunteers or books or can you, what What do you need?
1: So currently we office in West Austin um, near B caves in 360, and we are book rich and we're book rich because of COVID mm-hmm. and um, because of people's generosity, which is great um, financial donations are always, um, needed and accepted because we have computers that need to be replaced every year or two. And so computers, digital recorders, staff doing this right now, we have a staff of three and a staff of three is fantastic. Um, started with 1 now we're up to 3 and we've got a couple contractors just need 17 more yes just 17 more that'll be great and then i will sleep at night <laughs> and but it's it's so much joy in the job that and we have have the volunteers so we always need more volunteers and you if you're not up for volunteering in a prison you can volunteer in the office or you can volunteer remotely right now our greatest volunteer need is prison volunteers and social media, if you can believe that, mm. we've had some fantastic interns, and they always go away because they graduate and stuff like that. And so, we would love to have some remote volunteers for social media, for blogging, for um, all sorts of oh, data entry. Even that we have a lot of data, mm. and so remote, in house, um, prison. We will take interns of any kind if someone needs to do an internship in. Philosophy, criminal justice, social work. Um, we have had men communications, many different kinds of interns. Mm-hmm. So if this piques your interest at all, mm-hmm. just give us a call. We're really easy to reach at info at storybookproject.org. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll figure out a way.
0: And how do people get in touch with you?
1: Jill at storybookproject.org. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can call our office, which is... 512 861 5110.
0: 8, 1, 5, 1, 1, That's great. Well, uh, by the time this comes out, I think it'll be right around Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there um, and mine, especially, of, of course. course. <laughs> uh, Jill, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me on. This yeah. was
0: wonderful. And very good luck to you.
1: Thank you.